Hello and welcome to The Shepherd's Voice, the podcast of Catoctin Covenant Presbyterian Church here in Percival, Virginia. My name is Ben Franks and I'm here with Pastor Charles Biggs. Good morning. Good morning. So today we are working through the Heidelberg Catechism and we come to Lord's Day 14, which is trying to help us think through the language in the Apostles' Creed about Christ being conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. So let me read these questions. We've got questions 35 and 36 before us. Question 35 says, what does it mean that he, meaning Jesus, was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? That the eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took to himself through the working of the Holy Spirit from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary a truly human nature, so that he might become David's true descendant, like his brothers in every way except for sin. And then question 36, of course, the Heidelberg Catechism always wants us to understand these biblical truths and then understand how they apply, and so it asks, how does the holy conception and birth of Christ benefit you? And here's the answer. He is our our mediator, And with his innocence and perfect holiness, he removes from God's sight my sin, mine, since I was conceived. So what can you say to help us understand these things, and especially kind of connecting with uh, what we talked about a few weeks ago of um, Christ's work as Christ, as our mediator, as the anointed one? Yes, okay. Um, Yeah, that's good. The first thing that comes to mind is from Luke's gospel, uh, that powerful revelation of Gabriel when he comes uh, to Mary. I want to read a a bit of that in um, Luke 1, uh, as I'm uh, speaking here about God's eternal Son, um, who never changes, who's the eternal one, uh, equal in in deity, glory, power, with the Father and the Son, who took upon himself human nature. Uh, he never in any way uh, subtracted from his deity, and the, he never in any way um, uh, emptied himself of deity. He always was, always is, always shall be the eternal Son who united himself in permanent, personal, hypostatic union to our humanity in the womb of the Virgin. And I think it's helpful to start, and, and, and what I'd like to do is read this with regard to the Incarnation and then tie it back to what we spoke about a couple of weeks ago in thinking about the phases or stages of Jesus's reception of the Holy Spirit or the ministry of the Holy Spirit or the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon uh, the Lord Jesus. In Luke 1, 26, we're just told that Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. It's most important that Joseph, who will adopt the Lord Jesus by naming him and receiving him as son, uh, will be, uh, is of the house of David. And so the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled tried to understand what this might mean. And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And verse 31, most important, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary wants to know, how is this to be, since I'm a virgin? Verse 35, the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. We see in the prophecy of Isaiah that the virgin would conceive and give forth a, and bear forth a son. The son would be Messiah. The son would be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the everlasting Father, the one upon whom the government of David, the eternal government of David, would be placed. He would rule and reign over David's house. And as son of man, he'd be the son of the Most High who would receive all authority and power from the Father as Daniel teaches us in Daniel 7 through 14. But notice the Holy Spirit is overshadowing Mary. So Joseph is not the father, the biological father. The birth, uh, conception of Jesus comes through a supernatural powerful work of the Holy Spirit. The Father planned it from before the foundation world. The Son assented to this. The Son in the fullness of time at the moment, simultaneous to the moment that uh, the Holy Spirit takes from Mary's womb, takes from Mary's flesh and blood, uh, the Son of God unites himself at that moment uh, to true humanity from Mary's flesh uh, to be of the seed of David, to fulfill all of God's prophecies. And we see that first stage, if you will, of the Holy Spirit's ministry upon Christ Jesus. And then there's a silence for many years, and then we see a second stage of Jesus Christ's ministry at his baptism. The Father says, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Uh, later he will uh, uh, then reiterate, listen to him, because he's the promised anointed prophet uh, spoken of in the Old Covenant. He's the true and final prophet. Um, so he's they're given the Holy Spirit as an act of ordination, consecration, setting apart to fulfill his earthly public ministry of humiliation up into the cross through the resurrection, breathing then a kind of first fruits of the first fruits upon the disciples, sending them on mission uh, to go forth. But then that third and final great stage of the Holy Spirit we want to emphasize is when Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. He received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit as one resurrected and ascended from the dead as our representative and sat down in our nature, in our flesh, at God's right hand to receive the Spirit, then only to pour it out on his church once and for all. And this once and for all with ongoing implications, of course, but once and for all as a day of Pentecost, a significant event, just as the cross and resurrection was. And that's the third and glorious final kind of uh, the coronation enthronement, uh, uh, highest stage of Jesus receiving, uh, not merely as the Son of God, but as God-man, as the one united to our flesh, having accomplished all redemption, uh, sat down, received the Holy Spirit. So those are the three stages of the Holy Spirit we want to keep in mind. And this is connecting us back to the anointing, that Jesus then anoints his church. So that's a continuation. So let's now, let me more fully concentrate on the, the virgin conception and then the birth. So the Spirit here has overshadowed Mary brought forth uh, from Mary's womb uh, the, the Christ, the human nature, and Jesus will permanently and personally uh, unite himself. Uh, the, the Son of God will unite himself, and this one who will be born forth of a woman, born under the law, to fulfill all the requirements of the law, uh, will uh, uh, cause us to be receive the adoption as sons. 
And, and it's most important to note that the way the Heidelberg Catechism wants us to remember this, as well as I can think of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, very helpful in question and answer 21, that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, who was and is the eternal Son of God, became man, and so was and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures in one person forever. Most, most important to always keep in mind that he is that uh, one Christ, one person, one anointed one, one who fulfills ultimately the the. It's the, not just something that he was at some point. No, in the no, past, no, no. And it doesn't, he, yeah. he is the yeah. prophet, priest, and king, isn't he? Uh, of always, um, he became man at a certain point in time. He united himself to humanity at a certain point in time, and that's why that that important first phase of the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary. This is such supernatural power. Uh, and love of the Father to fulfill his promises to his people. So when we're talking about the, uh, the, the, the conception and the birth of the Lord Jesus, we're reminded that he's the eternal Son of God. He continues true and eternal God. He took upon himself the very nature of man. And then the author of Hebrews uh, tells us in chapter 2 and then in chapter 4 why this is particularly uh most useful and practical uh, to believers, to believers. The first is um, in chapter 2, verses 14 to 18, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death, through death in our nature, God cannot die. God is not dead. God is the eternal living one from whom all blessings and life flow. He's the creator. We're the creature. Uh, but the creator united himself to creature. This is the uniqueness of the Christian message. It's the uniqueness of the incarnation in all of the history of the world. There were uh, gods becoming men, but never the eternal God becoming man, uniting as one person in two natures to fulfill all covenant righteousness on behalf of another people as representative, as pure, spotless, holy, without blame, no sin whatsoever, in order to glorify God and enjoy him forever and bring a people into eternity with him, never in the history of mankind. Oh, well, so he himself likewise partook of the same day that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, so he comes as the dragon serpent lord slayer. He comes to kill the dragon, to crush the head of the serpent through his death. He comes and wrestles death to the ground through the cross, and death finds the definitive uh, disarmament, uh, blow, uh, Satan as well, who had the power of death, the fear of death, who he held over to others. He comes, and it says he doesn't come as the offspring of angels, but the offspring of Abraham. One through Abraham, through David, through Mary. And uh, so he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so he could be that, uh, that third stage, if you will, anointed uh, high priest king, a prophet, according to God's um, a good purpose and plan at God's right hand so that he could remain faithful, continuing in intercession for us continuing to minister to us. And then Hebrews 4 tells us, uh, very importantly, since we have this great high priest who's passed through the heavens, uh, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us not waver in times of persecution. Let us stand strong. Let us stand confident. Let us keep us, our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfect, perfecter of our faith, because he can sympathize with us in our weakness. He's been united to our humanity. He knows of every temptation we've ever received. So here it is, beloved. Think about this. Every time you're tempted, it doesn't mean you've sinned. 
Now, you need to understand that because the evil one will come along and say, I've been tempted, I've been tempted. No, no, you've been tempted. That's one thing. You have not necessarily fallen into temptation. Now, oftentimes we do. And the devil has a right to say something and he will, he will be the accuser of us. But we can always run to Christ and confess our sins knowing he's faithful and just forgive us. But here's the thing. Jesus was tempted in every way. So think of your chief temptation right now. Think of the thing that continually uh, is the sin that so easily besets you. Jesus knows how you feel in your own nature. He's been tempted. And here's the good news. Yet without sin. And that's why he's the God-man at God's right hand. He's been tempted yet without sin. And so then the author of Hebrews says in 4.16, let us then with confidence come to him. He's not going to shame us. <laughs> you know, he's not going to be hard on us. He's not going to turn his face away from us. He's not going to, you know, give us the cold shoulder. We do those kind of things. But grow near to the throne of grace. It's not a throne of judgment. It's not a throne of condemnation. So that you can listen to the two ways that it's put. So that you may receive mercy, because it's something we constantly need, because we're sinners. Receive mercy and find grace. Find grace means I'm weak. I'm, need, I'm needy for Jesus. I need his grace. And so it tells us that uh, it reminds us that Jesus is still the priest king at God's right hand um, of the true seed of David. Uh, who has in three stages received the Holy Spirit, this Holy Spirit in his conception, the Holy Spirit in his ordination service, if you will, his baptism, it is being consecrated to set apart for his public ministry, and especially the uh, fullness of the Spirit in his glorification, his enthronement, coronation, um, his receiving the Holy Spirit so he could pour the Holy Spirit out on us. And here's the wonderful thing that we receive from the Holy Conception and birth of Jesus is completely pure. The Holy Spirit, pretend, pre, just as he did with the authors of Scripture, to, to keep them, those sinful men, from error and, and from sin leaking through their pens into the Holy Word of God. Um, he protected, he preserved the holy nature of Jesus uh, from the taint of sin that would normally have come uh, through conception, would have normally come through Mary, uh, would normally have been part of our that is part of our Adamic inheritance. Unfortunately, it's it's a uh, in sin did my mother conceive me? The the psalmist says that David says in the Psalm fifty one, and so the Spirit kept him from sin. So he was born pure, holy. He lived pure, holy. He lived. Um, he died pure and holy. He lives purely and holy. And this is why the author of Hebrews, at the end of uh, Hebrews 7, it tells us that uh, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. That's fully and finally all those who draw near to God because he lives to make intercession. And then it says it was indeed feed, fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. So that purity, that holiness, that sweetness, loveliness, beauty is ours received by faith in his righteousness. When we're clothed with the righteousness of Christ, part of what that means is we're completely forgiven. We have a purity that we've received from Christ's incarnation, from his perfect obedience. And he is more and more through sanctification committed to, um, um, to committing us through his heavenly ministry by his holy spirit um to cause us to flourish and prosper to cause us to be sanctified um 
That is, Philippians 1, 6 says that he who began a good work, you know, will complete it. He will accomplish it. He's able to save us, not just from our sins, uh, uh, but but unto righteousness and fullness and perfection that we await when we see him face to face, of course. But he can save us to the uttermost, which is fully, not just uh, uh, to be forgiven, but to give us a perfect righteousness so we'll be fit for heaven and then to sanctify us, to prepare, as he's, as I've heard it put by the Puritan father so well, as, as Jesus prepares a place for us, so he prepares us for the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So what do I take away each day from, from what we just studied? I, I, I think of five uh, sentences that are three word, five simple sentences. Number one is, I need Jesus. That means you need Jesus. And two, I, I remember the importance of please forgive me because I'm constantly in need of sin, uh, constantly in need, not of sin. <laughs> no, I've got plenty of that. I'm in constant need of mercy, as you are. The third is, uh, please forgive me. Um, I die daily seeking to uh, be that pure person that God's called me to be in Christ and that he's made us uh, in justification, that he's given us foundation for in his perfect righteousness. And the final here am I, that I'm called to be the anointed service of, servant of the Lord, the prophet, the little prophet, priest, and king in Christ, living by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, I'm just thinking about uh, both of us having the privilege of serving as ministers in the OPC, and knowing the history of the OPC, you come to this doctrine of the virgin birth of Christ, and it's something that stands out in the history because back when our denomination was was coming into being, one of the one of the impetuses for that was that a lot of seminary professors and scholars and you know leaders in the church said, well, you know, the virgin birth is really this just kind of mythical holdover, and you know, it, Christianity would be would be better. It would be you know stand better as it were without this. Mm-hmm. And Machen uh, and others really said, no, this is something that you have to hold on to. And and from the outside, people might look at that and say, okay, well, what makes it so important? But when you when you think about all that you know you just shared with us about what flows from this biblical truth you know it's there in the gospel of luke it's there in isaiah it's there in hebrews that um, christ is conceived by the holy spirit through the womb of the virgin mary you can't get around that biblically and when you understand what the bible says about that you don't want to get around it because you realize that that is central both to christ's person that he is fully God and fully man, taking our nature to himself. Um, and it's central to his work as well, as the, as the Catechism says, that I am comforted because um, my sins are covered, my record has been paid uh, from my conception. You know, I can never remember if it's John of Damascus or Maximus the Confessor. One of those guys you know, makes the point that whatever is not... Um, assumed is not yes, redeemed it's not redeemed right yep. One and, of my and uh and 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 that's the idea that christ is he's not just imitating certain aspects of being human and this is part of why christ doesn't just sort of drop down as a 33 year old man and die on the cross and right. you know be done in a week no he's conceived he's brought to term he's born he matures he goes through puberty he becomes a young man he becomes a mature man and he dies on the cross and the reason in part for that is that he is assuming uh, our true nature to himself and is living the life that we were called to live. And if you remove any part of that, if you say that he doesn't become divine until his baptism or something, 
you don't have the Savior that we need, and we don't have the salvation that we need, the comfort that we need. And so it's the, it is a, it's not just an esoteric kind of shibboleth, it's a really central doctrine that Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Amen, amen. And in thinking of uh, J. Gresham Machen's 100th, uh, the 100th anniversary of Christianity and liberalism, there's a very fine, very important section on the virgin conception or the virgin birth, and uh, his support of it biblically, much of what we're saying today um, reflects uh, our, our learning from him, I think, throughout the years. Uh, one thing that he constantly reiterates, as you're doing now, is that, that Christianity is a supernatural religion. Um, it's a revelation from God. It's a realization because of the triumph of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, another book uh, that he did was The Virgin Birth of Christ, uh, which is a separate volume, a longer volume, um, or full comprehensive uh, um, study on on the virgin birth, but um, those are those are recommendations if if someone would like to read more. But you know what I always think about is the difference between Christianity as a unique supernatural religion and all the other religions that have some bit of supernaturalness to them, uh, perhaps. But what makes Christianity unique in the whole history of the world, and this should cause us at least to pause. Someone without faith, they at least should consider this, is that all other religions are a, a kind of an N-shaped, if you will, a lowercase N-shaped. It's man somehow working up to God, that even if the God uh, comes down somehow, man still has to work up to get to God or to earn his favor. It's, it, they're all the same, pretty much. Every cult, every religion is pretty much the lowercase N kind of going up and then down. The Christian religion is U-shaped. It's unique in that way. It's that God, the Father, in the Son, through the Son, before the power, in the power and love of the Holy Spirit, before the foundation of the world, decided to uh, choose a people, you know, to come down and redeem, that He would come in the fullness of time, born of a woman, born of law, law, defeat the powers of death, hell, and the devil, and then He would be resurrected up. He would earn salvation. He would earn all righteousness. He would be the pure one, and that uh, we can uh, look to and receive by faith and, 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 and because of His love. And that truth of that U-shape, that, that wonderful, unique, remember you, unique, uniqueness of Christian, Christian religion is that He comes down uh, in the sense of uniting Himself permanently, personally, in hypostatic union. I think I say that a lot in my sermons because it, 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 it's only possible, right, through the triune God, through the truth of God, through the power of God to accomplish this redemption that, that, that's done apart from us before we were ever born, before we were ever conceived, and, and done for us, and that that's what we proclaim is that we do proclaim, yes, Jesus is, uh, is, is, is good teaching, his, his parables, uh, the, how, how kind and, and gentle, etc. Those are very important. We proclaim him as an example. But first and foremost, we proclaim what has been done by the Father in Christ through the Holy Spirit for us and for our redemption as a proclaimed final work that we're to receive by faith. And that makes the you very unique. Um, and Christianity, of course, makes Christian religion unique in all the, the history of the world. Amen. If you'd like to learn more, you can find resources about this and many other topics on our church website, www.catoctin.org. That's www.ketoctin.org. 
You can find out more about the work of Pastor Biggs as the regional home missionary of the Presbyteries of Mid-Atlantic at www.joiningtheharvest.org. If you found this episode to be useful, we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and share it with your friends. If you have questions that you would like us to answer or consider in a future episode, you can send those to us at shepherdsvoicepodcast at gmail.com. And as always, we encourage you to join us for our next episode of The Shepherd's Voice. Thank you.